Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is Hear Her Sports, and I'm Elizabeth Emery. I am so excited about this episode and am extremely honored that Umbreen Tarek agreed to be on the show. Her schedule is jam-packed to capacity, and she even admits to saying no frequently. It means a great deal to me that she said yes to be here. Umbreen is the founder of Brown People Camping, a social media initiative of personal storytelling to promote greater diversity in our public lands and outdoors community. In Brown People Camping, Umbreen shares her own experiences as a Muslim, South Asian American immigrant female. Her stories are incredibly eloquent. She is willing to be personal on Instagram to discuss how essential it is to get more people outdoors and to open up the conversation about the wide range of relationships and experiences people have with wilderness. I learned so much from our conversation and by following Brown People Camping on Instagram. For one, midway through the episode, Umbreen talks about what we all can do to promote diversity in the outdoors. Where to start, she says, is to acknowledge that there is in fact a problem. She says way more than that, so definitely stay tuned. And on a less serious note, Umbreen and her husband love to cook outdoors. When she talks about recipes and setting up her campsite, she really opened up my idea of camping. Of course, it does not have to be a suffer fest of walking until you drop and then eating instant oatmeal in an energy bar for dinner. Enjoy nature with your friends and family, have a good meal, and do a short hike. It's a real treat to introduce Umbreen, so let's get to it. Welcome, Umbreen, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, from what I've read, how you got started hiking and camping is so important to your story and your experience in mission. So can we start there? Describe an early camping experience from your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, how I got started is a pretty central part of my story for Brown People Camping as a project. In fact, that is the name. My project is so much more than camping. It's about just promoting the outdoors for everybody. But um, it's called Brown People Camping because that was my exposure to the outdoors. And the story is that, you know, my family and I, we moved to the United States when I was young. I was almost eight years old. And you know, we were sort of struggling immigrants and part of learning about all things American, which was learning about grocery stores and the public transportation system also included holidays and seasonal traditions that happened in Minnesota at the time. And, um, you know, we had moved to the United States when, when it was winter. So the minute spring hit, everybody in Minnesota just really hit the outdoors. It's such a big part of the culture there. And camp and, and, you know, camping is a big part of that. So as my parents were learning all things American, we saw it as being American, getting outdoors, experiencing the outdoors was a part of our American life. And so we kind of pieced together a couple tents and sleeping bags. And we just went outdoors. We didn't really know what we were doing. But it was really such a joyful part of a very difficult transition in my life. And so that was my exposure at the time. And um, as I got older, it became harder and harder to go outdoors. But after I got married, and my husband and I, we, we've settled in the DC area, I wanted to make that a part of my lifestyle. Having tasted that before, having had that positive exposure before, it was really important to me. So when I got back outdoors, it kind of shocked me that, you know, in the decades since I had been outdoors, when back then to me, it was just all white people, there was such a lack of diversity, but that didn't seem odd to me because that just came as part of my experience as an immigrant, right? And But now getting back outdoors, it still looked exactly the same while so much had changed in America and so much had changed in my life and it shocked me. And so now being an empowered adult, a grown woman in this country, it became really important to me to talk about that, to, to, to ask why is it that there aren't more people who look like me outside enjoying the experiences that I was having the pleasure and privilege to experience. So that's really at the crux of how I started my project and I've really just gone from there to tell more stories, to promote diversity in the outdoors, to, you know, help share experiences of authenticity, that it is whatever you want it to be. You're not mimicking some uh, abstract behavior in the outdoors. You're not trying to be John Muir. You're, you are who you are. Your family can enjoy whatever they want to enjoy in the outdoors. And it is for everybody. I love how you said that the outdoors 
is whatever you want it to be. And it doesn't have to be some fancy pants trip or, you know, it doesn't have to be far away. That's so important. It absolutely is. And, you know, and that was also another really important experience for us because, again, like I said, when we had first gone outdoors, we were mimicking what other people were doing, but we were still doing it in our own way. Like we cooked our, my mother cooked our own traditional foods in the outdoors. We sang our songs. We still had our own traditions. Even as an adult, I found it really hard trying to communicate my love for the outdoors with, with others, whether they went outdoors or not. I just kept getting, I kept hitting this wall where people would say, I don't understand you're you're you know you keep talking about how you love the outdoors but you're car camping that's not really camping or you're not even you know you're not even building a fire from scratch you're using a lighter or like there are all these like really strange comparisons that we all have built in to our understanding of what it means to be the outdoors we don't know where it came from and we don't know why we constantly judge each other in that way or tear each other down it makes absolutely no sense so it became really important to me through brown people camping to talk about that to talk about why is it that we do this to each other even if we don't have any ill will it's this like very normative behavior that people do to try and minimize other people's outdoor experiences because for some reason we're we've all espoused this understanding that being outdoors means being this very extreme masculine minimalist person. And if you don't fit that, you're not outdoors. And that to me is a very destructive and dangerous concept to promote because that means that we cannot help more and more people connect with the outdoors. And that means if there aren't those people connecting with the outdoors, we're going to have less and less people standing by to protect it. That's so interesting. As you were talking, I was picturing like this white dude with a beard and a plaid shirt fighting bears or something. Right? I mean, isn't that what we all picture? And it's just always like, you know, you only did a two mile hike, you only did, you know, a two day trip. It's always something. There's always going to be something to minimize someone's experience with. And I have experienced this personally from friends, from family, from allies, people who have no ill will even. We just do this. We have this like knee-jerk reaction to define someone else's minimalism. And it's just, it's so unnecessary. And so that's another huge part of my project. Other than just talking about diversity, which is also important, there's so many overlapping issues with accessibility and authenticity in the outdoors. To allow people to experience the outdoors and have creative confidence to explore it in their own way without minimizing it or defining it for them is really, really important for us. You know, I want to go back to your parents. I mean, I think it's so interesting. I mean, prior to coming to the U.S., had they done any stuff outside? Was that part of their normal life? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in India, we have an outdoor culture. There are parks, there are open spaces. We don't do camping. Like camping is not something, it was a very foreign concept to us, right? And and it goes back to a lot of, I think, immigrant communities too. It's like, well, why are you going camping? We left that lifestyle. We left having to sleep on the ground. Like, why are you choosing that now, right? And so it's this very odd concept of returning back to a minimalism that for, for my community and my culture, we were leaving and we were trying to grow past. And so, it, but, but for my parents, we have had an outdoors culture. Like my uncle in India used to go hunting. That was how people camped back then when it was part of a process to go hunting or things like that. But outdoors is a really big part of our culture in, in our home country, which was going to uh, historic sites and, and parks and these beautiful places. But it was sort of like a day experience with picnics and around family and culture. And so that was outdoors to us. So it was a very natural transition to try public parks in America, but camping was absolutely new to us. But I really appreciate my parents' sense of adventure. And it really, it's not that much of a leap if you think about they left behind everything that was comfortable and normal to them. So I think exploring camping was part of the process. It sounds like you remember a lot about the process of coming to this country. Yeah, it was a very formative time in my life. I remember the details from the day that we landed. You know, we moved to America in 1991 in early February. I remember even just landing that day and seeing blue lights as we hit the ground in Minnesota. I was so excited to see snow. And when I saw snow for the first time, it was gray. And, you know, <laughs> the disappointment of it all. 
was a very, very formative time in my life. So I remember a lot of details around it. And the hardships were fairly instant in, you know, from landing to living to transitioning, you know, with, with bullying and learning everything new. And that's why the outdoors is such a special time in our lives is because when we got out there, in a way that sort of fed my project was we were isolated in the outdoors. It was all white people out there. They didn't really interact with us. They didn't talk to us, but I definitely noticed that there was a sense of family on, in the campground that we didn't belong to. You know, it, overall we were okay with being left alone because in every other part of our life we weren't being left alone. Right. So it would, it sort of cut both ways, but at that time, it was a reprieve and there was so much joy in having to deal with problems that weren't so hurtful, like starting a fire and being tired. And it was just so empowering for me. I think that just warmth in that experience and being able to problem solve in such an immediate way at a time when my other problems were so much bigger than me, it left a very heavy emotional imprint in my life that was very positive. And I think that's why it's so important for, for children and when you're younger to have positive exposure to the outdoors because then you have that creative confidence as you get older. Let's uh, talk a little bit about your actual hiking right now in your current life. How often are you taking trips and, you know, like describe a trip. What kind of trips are you taking? Yeah, well, you know, East Coast living is, um, I always like to put that little asterisk there because Oftentimes I'm talking to people who live on the West Coast where the idea of getting outdoors all the time is like, yeah, well, we do that all the time, right? I'm not huge into outdoor activities in the wintertime. It's difficult for me. I don't like cold weather. So it's really my, you know, I'm trying to push my boundaries every every day, every year. And we've tried to do a little bit more hiking this winter. But once it gets warm, we're out there. And I think in general, we're trying to camp every month somewhere, whether it's locally or now with Brown People Camping. I actually have a lot of great partnerships that I'm involved with through ambassador programs that I'm involved with or sponsored trips. And so we're getting out there every month. And whether it's within our local area or in other states, and that usually looks like uh you know, locally, we do a lot of car camping because that's accessible to us. So we'll go in Friday, we'll leave Sunday, and we're just cooking up good food at the campsite, and we're hiking at local, you know, in state parks. But when we're traveling for sponsored trips, it's much more experiential and storytelling about, like, I'm an ambassador for Airstream. I'll give you an example for that. And that's just such a fantastic opportunity for me because we get to learn how to uh, haul an Airstream trailer and just life on the road. It's just so incredibly different to to live the sort of trailer RV life. And so it really depends on, on the experience itself and the partnership I'm involved with. But it's about just getting out there and trying it, trying whatever it is that we can to experience more and tell more stories. When you're doing the car camping, do you spend the whole day hiking or do you spend time you know, at the site sort of meditating or, I don't know, taking in nature or something. Yeah, definitely. It's not an all day hiking thing. That's just not our pace. My husband and I, we both really enjoy cooking in the outdoors. So we enjoy experimenting in our camp kitchen, trying different foods. We have our own pace that involves a lot of cooking and hiking and, you know, like problem solving in the outdoors. And it's not just uh, just gunning it the whole day, right? Like we oftentimes have a mix and match with how often we're back at our campsite and cooking and relaxing and also just getting out there and exploring. I think that's what's so great is in different experiences, trying to push yourself to try different speeds. Cooking in the outdoors is extremely challenging and that is exhausting in itself. And sometimes I just wish, I'm just going to go hike. Like that is much easier right now. <laughs> so I... We love problem solving in the outdoors and we, you know, like I said, we try different things and uh, that's all part of the adventure for me. Cool. So what's your favorite camping meal? So one of my favorite camping meals, which is really, really easy, is preparing the marinade at home, packing it up and getting some meat on the way. And then we marinate the meat on the way to the campsite. We get there, we get the fire going and we make the nuri chicken. Uh, we can boil rice at the campsite. And it's just by the, by the end of the day, when you're exhausted, you want that protein, you want that fat, you want that starch. So, and it just tastes, everything tastes so much more delicious in the outdoors to me, the spices and just everything. And then we'll grill up corn with 
uh, chili pepper and turmeric and a little bit of like lemon salt. Just thinking about it makes me hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And, and what do you carry with you to eat while you're hiking? Um, I think that I learned a lot from others, right, which is nuts and snacks. And sometimes it's just a PB&J and water, like mm. just trying to get out there, beat that sun, get out there. You know, we're not um, – I feel like we have a lot more to learn about backpacking meals than, than as much as I focus on full-blown camping meals. And I love that. I love that having those types of goals of what's lightweight, what's going to meet my nutritional needs and keep me energized. Um, so, but everything for me has to have flavor and spice in it. So I'm always working on that, whether I roast nuts at home with spices or I'm grabbing some trail mix along the way, you know, just always trying to balance something to look forward to when you take that break. Right, right. And how are you learning all this stuff? I mean, how are you preparing for your trips and learning how to pack your bag and, you know, learning what to bring and what not to bring and that kind of stuff? I love learning from other people. In the beginning, when I didn't really have an outdoors community, we were doing just a lot of Google searches. But now the privilege of having run this project for a little less than two years, I have developed that sort of outdoors community I've been searching for my whole life. So now it's this fantastic way of learning from each other, whether it's on social media, whether it's through my followers or the people that I follow, or just the friend circle that I've developed. Like in any other community, you have a network and I'll throw my questions out there saying, hey, you know, what what do you take? Like, I just had a trip with some girlfriends that I've gotten really close through through my project. And so in planning for that, and that trip was all about the go. Like we were hiking from sunrise to sunset. So that for me was learning, what do you eat on the go? How do you have a full lunch? And so I love asking people these questions now and being very okay with being vulnerable and saying, I don't know this. Whereas in the past, I was not comfortable being that vulnerable and showing how little I know because I just felt judged. And now I think having developed this community, I have the confidence that comes with having a support system and not feeling judged or feeling insecure about exposing that. So that's just so great now is just to be able to uh, ask people. Right. You talked about hiking with your girlfriends or some new girlfriends. How is that different from hiking with your husband? It's so I've always shied away from group activities because I've always been so self-conscious about, um, you know, not being able to keep up. And oftentimes that also comes with being a, a photographer, right? Like what I love to take photos. That is how I experience the outdoors. It's not something that's getting in the way of how I experience it. It is how I experience it. I love it. And so with um, I'm always self-conscious because I'm stopping to take photos. I don't want to slow other people down, just interrupt someone else's experience. And what was so fantastic about about doing this, this, this girl's trip was that we're all sort of photographers in our own right. And so it was completely different because it was a social experience. It was a sense of sisterhood and it pushed me to experience the outdoors in a social way that I normally don't. I really loved it and I definitely want to try it more. Cool. And how do you feel about less than ideal weather when you're camping or hiking? Do you know what? I love it. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it because those are the moments that I feel tested, like truly tested because it's one thing to say, I love being outdoors when the sun is shining, but there, there are no greater lessons for me than when the weather isn't cooperating. And those are the moments that I feel most accomplished because we were either able to solve a problem in that weather, you know, in the best case scenario or, just kind of survive the weather, stick around, plant your stakes in and wait out the storm. And in any of those situations, it's it's a sense of accomplishment that's really hard to understand in your civilized life where you have an umbrella in a building, right? And those are always the moments that I feel the most proud of myself or, or my husband and I in trying to figure out how to bear that storm. Right. And so that leads to another question. You know, what does adventure mean to you? Gosh, that is such a fantastic question. For me, adventure is not about anything extreme, but more about conquering every time I doubted myself and not being able to do something. Like literally, I always think I cannot hike that distance. My body is not meant for that. I can't, I just cannot take on this level of discomfort. And so for a lot of people, I think adventure is this trip far away. And for me, it's literally just pushing myself outside of my comfort level and challenging my own I can't and I don't. What are some of the 
biggest lessons that you've learned since you've gotten more involved in camping? Well, you know, as a person of color and someone who's very aware of the lack of diversity in the outdoors, I have, it's not easy to always feel comfortable and safe out there. And some of the biggest lessons I've learned is that it's okay to live with that fear and anxiety and that I don't want to let that stop me from experiencing the joy that I love in the outdoors. We've definitely been in situations where we don't feel 100% comfortable or safe or because people have either overtly or not so overtly made us feel out of place. But it's very important for me to push past that and try and share with other people that it's okay to push past that fear because there's such a beautiful and joyous reward on the other side of that fear. Mm-hmm. That was a great segue to talking a little bit more about diversity and your mission to increase diversity. Can you start by maybe just giving us some data about you know the participation levels of uh, brown people and white people? Well, I don't necessarily have the data because I don't do data collection, but there is some very basic information that I think we all have access to, which is, and this also leads to when I launched Brown People Camping, right? It was 2016 and it was the centennial of the National Park Service. And up until then, I always thought this was just something private that we all felt and we didn't talk about. And it was them who put out the, they had done a full-blown survey that showed that majority of the people visiting public lands and national parks were white people. And I cannot remember the number off the top of my head, but it was something lower than 30% were, were people of color. And another really important point, which goes to the point of my project, is that, you know, come 2040, there are going to be more people of color in this country than white people. But the demographics in our environmental groups, in our public land conservation spaces and agencies, none of those are keeping up with those demographics. So it's very, very important to me and you know everyone else in this movement for diversifying the outdoors to push for the fact that we need more people to connect and have this sort of genuine, authentic relationship with the outdoors so that they will feel invested enough to stick around and advocate for it and protect it. That's really at the crux of all of this sort of advocacy. It's not just because it's the right thing to do. It's very, very important for all of us and the well-being of our green spaces in the future. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, it's 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 at the crux of my project, you know, at, at the center of a lot of people's advocacy for the push for diversity in the outdoors is that we need more people to love this land because we are right now not keeping up with the people power we need for its advocacy. Right. And for the for most of this time we have not been cognizant of the fact that most environmental groups, uh, um, conservation spaces, even people enjoying the outdoors or maintaining it have been predominantly white. Up until recently, it was just never really seen as a priority to, to acknowledge that and push to change that. And now we see it, right? It's not just people of color who, who are pushing for it. It's now white allies who have acknowledged that and seen that as very dangerous for the future of our, of our public lands and green spaces. That goes hand in hand with something else that you've said, which is that the parks, you know, the national parks are all paid for by taxes. So we all own it. Absolutely. And that's something really hard for me because I never feel as entitled to these public lands as some people who may have lived and grown up in those spaces. Maybe it's my immigrant experience. Maybe it's the fact that we moved around a lot. But to me, it's something so external that I'm going to visit. And I really admire the people who grow up in those areas that feel connected to it, thinking this is my river. This is my backyard, you know. And what I have learned through this project is that there are a lot of people of color who grow up with that in their backyard and still don't feel that way about their own land. And it's not just about the taxpayers. It's how at home do you feel in your home? That is a very important fact that I, I push myself to explore through my project because I think many of us take for granted that there are other people who don't feel as comfortable in their own land, right? And many of us have different and varying relationships to land. My experience is that of immigrant with African-Americans, their experience is very different from being brought to this land and being made to work for this land, but then also, you know, rural spaces and, you know, whether whether it's going out into 
wilderness or forest where there was direct and immediate violence associated with it to Native American communities who have lost the very lands that they have ancestral connections to. So for my project, I, it's very, very important that we openly explore our relationships with land and what does that mean to us to be able to appreciate it more, to be able to appreciate each other more. And only then I think can we make authentic connections and celebrate diversity and what it really means, not just putting more people of color out there, but talking about our histories and our relationships to land. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you balance your white audience and your brown audience? Because you do have both, right? For your Instagram account. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, at one level, it's about sharing my message, period. I like to talk about me, what I've experienced, regardless of who's listening. But at the same time, my mission is about including white people in this conversation and helping empower allies. I think there is value to having community spaces just as much we have mixed ally and advocacy spaces but for me how I balance is that I want white allies to know what is it that we're experiencing in the outdoors so so it is an empowerment space as much as it is a teaching space but only in how much someone wants to take on sharing about themselves I'm sharing about myself to connect with other people and others are learning from my experience but they also share back as well. And that all is important to building a movement where we're all allies and advocates for each other. And that's really, really important. What have the barriers been that you've discovered through your movement for brown people wanting to camp and to get out in the outdoors? Um, You know, nothing I've just like those barriers, none of those are new to me because I've experienced them my whole life. Sure. I have learned lessons from other communities that I haven't you know, thought of, like I was saying, with friends and and stories from like Native American communities and to be able to learn about the complicated feelings that come with people loving and developing a relationship to public lands without acknowledging their history of them, right? And that is something very new that I've been able to open my eyes to and be educated about is the experience of it's not just that we're all people of color outdoors. We all have such complicated relationships to land, right? With, with, with African Americans and learning about the history of what those rural and sort of wilderness spaces meant to communities out there and what happened out there to a lot of Black people. So those have been something um, I haven't I haven't known personally because it's not part of my community narrative, and it's been really important for me to be able to open my eyes to the other experiences and learn how to be an ally in the same space where I'm also an advocate. Right. And and have you discovered barriers for your allies, your white allies, for getting involved? That's a really interesting question, because the point of my project is to learn from each other and have those difficult conversations. And I feel like I don't understand what their barriers are to not have those conversations. I feel like I we are all empowered to be able to acknowledge these things. I think what could be a barrier in growing empathy is maybe not knowing someone like me, but that's exactly what my platform and other platforms are about is to be able to connect. So, you know, I think it depends on what it is, what kind of change it is you're trying to make. And I really don't think about the barriers that exist to promoting our community and movement. Right. It's such an interesting topic of how to open up the conversation. Yes. I definitely think that there are challenges in understanding other people's experiences and that goes for everybody. And in, but in that responsibility, we have so much privilege, especially in this day and age, to connect with other people of different experiences, to read, to engage, to talk. And I I always think of solutions much more than I think of barriers. So I think that's why that question trips me up a little bit. But I am just, I have taken my story and I've put it out there and I'm connecting with other people. And I think if I can do it, anyone can do it. Okay, so let's take it from the other side. What are your solutions? Well, people always reach out to me and ask me, what can I do more to promote diversity in the outdoors? There are many, many, many organizations out there that are doing fantastic work, and they include whether they're actual brick and mortar organizations, there are also social media groups and influencers just like me, right? And I think 
the absolute first place to start for anybody is to acknowledge that the problem exists. I've come across many people who push back against me denying that the problem exists. So for me, I'm starting at step number one. You need to understand that there is absolutely a problem of diversity in the outdoors and why is it important for us to solve that problem? It is for everybody in this country to feel represented and have access to public lands to be able to see that not everyone's able to access them for socioeconomic reasons and and to be able to explore that and acknowledge our own individual privileges that either enable us or hinder us from getting outdoors. And then talk about it in your communities, whether it's your family, whether it's your congregation, whether it's your friends, to be able to champion and be an ambassador for the truth is incumbent upon all of us. And I have a full-time job. I volunteer with two other organizations. I do have very limited capacity, but I can choose to do my part in whatever small way that is. And it's a representation that even that can really resonate and be impactful that for me you know I have very great friends that that put much more sweat equity into their projects they do representational work where they're profiling other people of color in the outdoors to show greater representation that work takes so many hours mine is about my story uh carving out content about my narratives what i've seen what i've experienced and then going from there to build a dialogue there are so many different ways that people can do this you can be creative and for me i believe this wholeheartedly because this is the point of my project all it takes is your voice and your story and you are an advocate for the truth in whatever capacity you can lend I think it's so interesting you you mentioned that it's your Instagram account and your project is about you. I mean in a way that's harder. I mean to admit as you it's mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I hadn't anticipated that that's what my project was going to be. It evolved into that because I'm responding to the need that was really expressed from my followers, but my project is about me. It's about sharing very intimate details about my experiences and my perspectives and really just the more vulnerable I am and put myself out there, the more response I get and I'm able to have these sort of genuine engagements with people. And that is very important to me. So it is harder in a way, right? Everything comes with its own difficulties. It is a, it is a learning skill. Uh, It's something I'm just constantly trying to, refine how truthful I can be not truthful in the sense of what do I what's false and what's true but just how much am I willing to expose my life and my experiences while still being comfortable and safe but at the same time doing justice to the point of my project and I have found that the more I share the more other people share and it's a it's been such a wonderful exercise in just basic human empathy. That really is what kind of sets my project apart is that I'm able to share something very private. And if someone wants to engage with that experience, they engage with me and we have a dialogue. And I that's that's what's been so fantastic to see. Well, in one way, it's sort of a version of representation. I mean, you're representing somebody who's not entirely comfortable being outside and right. explaining why that is. And, you know, sometimes it's because of diversity and sometimes it's because you're trying to figure out what to take with you on the hike for a snack. Yeah, absolutely. And it all ultimately comes back to this sort of access, right? And for, for I think many people of color who don't have a cultural background in it, we don't have those type of resources. We don't have that uncle or the grandparents or whatever to teach us how to build a fire in the outdoors or, or borrow gear from. And, And with social media, we're really creating that network now. And it's beautiful to see that. Yeah, I mean, if if you think that everybody has to be that white guy with a beard and a plaid shirt fighting a bear, you're not going to go outside. Right. (laughs) And most of us, most of us have internalized that belief because it's perpetuated in our media, in our art. I mean, every time you think of someone who's quintessentially outdoors, it always goes back to John Muir or Edward Abbey or, you know, Teddy Roosevelt. We are socialized to believe that the outdoors is something that needs to be conquered. 
or protected in this very paternalistic way. What what I want to do and what so many other people want to do is say, we are all people who love the outdoors, whether that's a cookout with your family in the park where you go, you know, every year, or whether it's gardening or whether it's walking your dog or whatever, whether it's biking, whatever it is, as long as you're outdoors and experiencing natural elements, you love the outdoors. So let's change that normative limited perspective of what it means because then we just tripled our community of outdoor lovers right how does gender fit into your discussion and your project well (laughs) gender i think is right there in that conversation where you know when we're talking about these extreme perspectives of what it means to be outdoors they are very masculine perspectives right they're very much focused on conquering and being extreme and you know measuring your physical strength and i have found so much community and so much power in spaces where women are redefining what it means to be outdoors, where women are promoting and owning the feminine outdoors experience, because that is my experience. And gender is is a part of how I see the world because I am a woman of color and my experiences are shaped by that 100%. I love to reflect on that. And being able to push myself and feel so accomplished in things that I haven't been socialized to view as my skill set, And that is so powerful and empowering to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, like learning how to get out of a scrape. Yeah. <laughs> right. And just to redefine everything, like whether I believe it or not, there's still social values that have been instilled in me that are really hard to upset. And I love, I absolutely love experiencing the outdoors because no matter how it is that we're socialized, when you're out there, when I'm out there with my husband and that sun is setting, we have several things that we need to get done. And so, Whatever it is that we believe, we need to work together to get that fire going, to get that tent up, because we only have 15 minutes left of light. And that sort of urgency, that sort of really our basic needs and how you, what, wherever you come from, whatever it is that you're doing out there, everybody has a role to play in making sure that we have a full belly and a warm place to sleep at night. And that is empowering. Right, right. It was Martin Luther King's 50th anniversary of his death recently, and you have a really lovely Instagram post about that. Can you talk about that anniversary and what you hope for in the next five or 10 years? Yeah, you know, that I'm not blind to the fact that as a person of color, especially as an immigrant coming into this country and growing up at the time that I have, that I regardless of whatever my issues are and that I continue to struggle with, with civil rights issues, I'm the beneficiary of uh, so many people of color, including the African-American community and other communities of color from, you know, in, in the 1960s civil rights movement, that we are the beneficiary of many, many civil rights privileges. And as a beneficiary of that, as an individual, I see it as my responsibility to continue to fight for that because I am benefiting from the labor of others. Right. And, That has always been personally very important to me to see that as a trajectory and to see ourselves as individuals as being responsible for continuing the sacrifices of others. And, you know, it it moves me to think that there are people who have died in this fight for the betterment of all in this country. And so I don't take that lightly. And I like to reflect on that as a responsibility as an American. And I actually am very patriotic person. It's something that's very central to my identity, right? As a Muslim American who really sort of came of age post 9-11, my relationship with patriotism is very loud. (laughs) And I am very grateful to be in this nation. And I also see it as my American right and duty to continue to fight for its betterment for everybody in this country. That's why my project Brown People Campaign is so important to me is because land is a reflection of us and we are a reflection of our land. And if everyone isn't able to access and enjoy it, there is a problem there, right? And so it's it's something that is personally, emotionally, psychologically very, very important to me to work in coalition and in movement with others to continue to push for equity and representation and access to our public lands. That's awesome. We've talked a lot about individual 
goals and missions, how do we convince business to recognize that, you know, representing a greater diversity makes monetary sense? By showing it, right? By getting out there. By And I think I'm in a position of privilege with my project and in working coalition with others to show that it's, it's not just us brown people who care about this. There are allies and other communities that have expressed and are shouting from the rooftops that diversity in the outdoors is important to us. And by including more people and allowing more of your customers, if you can see my air quotes, you have so much to gain by welcoming and encouraging and empowering more customers to experience the outdoors. It really is the bottom line. And industry in this community sets a very important standard and precedent because there's so much signaling done with marketing. When you only see thin white women or you know thin white men in advertisement again and again and again, you don't feel represented in an activity that maybe you want to try. And it's just constantly like the subconscious signaling of you don't belong here if you already feel out of place. So it's very important to me and the other people that I work in coalition with to disrupt those images, to put ourselves out there, to put other people of all bodies and genders and identities out there to disrupt those consistently homogenous images that don't that are disservice they're a disservice to so many so many diverse communities who've been out there or who want to get out there and are not represented in these images and industry has a crucial role to play in stopping the perpetuation of this misrepresentation and that goes back to my whole point about authenticity in the outdoors. It's not simply about replacing a white face with a brown face. It's about representing real Americans doing real activities in the outdoors. It's about showing those cookouts. It's about showing your family camping trip. It's about showing whatever it is that us real people are doing to enjoy the outdoors. And if we don't feel represented in this marketing, we're not going to be drawn to identify with it. And that's really, really important that we stop limiting the outdoors to these sort of aspirational advertising gimmicks versus representational advertising. And I always say that to any brand that I'm talking to is it needs to be more representational than aspirational. Sure. Maybe as you know, maybe if there's a homogenous group of people sitting around a conference table, maybe you all think that it would be great to put another person climbing the peak of, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro as a great way of advertising your products. But what if we actually were more representational? What if we showed real people just enjoying their families in the outdoors in any number of ways that families and working people do in this country? How about that? Well, you know what that would take is some brown people at the table and some women at the table. And real people who have jobs and kids and are balancing bills and very limited leave, right? Like, let's just be real. Hmm. So interesting. It seems like you have good relationship with your sponsors. I absolutely do. Because my project is about working with the industry. Everybody has a role to play. And at the end of the day, I understand that a company cares about its bottom line. And for me, it's really simple. You will get more money if you include more people. Like, period. Who have you ever known to say, I'm not going to shop there anymore because they put brown people in their advertisements? No, it doesn't work that way. The more we feel represented, the more inclined we are to gravitate towards a company and understand its identity and its community ethic. And the outdoors community very much is in tune with the culture of the brands that they feel loyal to. So I take very personally, and it's very important to me to work with brands that I feel represent that movement towards diversity and inclusion, not because they're trying to build a customer base, but because they're trying to grow our community. And so you know, I just became an ambassador for Merrill, and I'm very, very proud of that relationship because I feel like that is another company that's really kind of living the spirit of it. And it is very important to me to work with companies to push for that. I can't just say, hey, you need to do this. When there's an opportunity for me to be part of that messaging and help share that story, I will do my best to do that. I should point out to everybody listening that you have a gazillion followers on Instagram. 
<laughs> Hardly. <laughs> 15,000, that's a lot. 17,500. <laughs> <laughs> then... So how did that happen? And did you have any idea that was going to happen? Absolutely no idea. Absolutely not, no idea whatsoever. I have no professional experience in social media. I am a very proud and humble public servant. I work for the federal government full time. It was never anything I planned to have this level of a community, but I have gladly stepped into the role of it. And I, tr- and I am very, very protectionist over my community and the work that I do when I'm approached, whether it's for sponsored content or what not anything and everything I think about the lens of my reader does this make sense to the average person who follows me and engages with me in my in my posts is it moving the conversation forward about diversity and authenticity and access if it's not and someone's going to pay me fifty thousand dollars to promote a backpack it's just not going to happen well maybe if it was fifty thousand dollars but (laughs) it's because I I often and I regularly acknowledge the fact that I am a person of great privilege. I have the privilege of having a full-time job and a paycheck. I am not running brown people camping for a profit. In fact, I'm taking money out of pocket and using paid leave to do a lot of these activities. I'm learning the hard way that I do need to cover my costs, but I do have the privilege of being able to do this. And so I want to stay true to the mission of it. And I think for whatever reasons, that is drawing people to our community. And I'm going to just keep doing what I do and hope to be, you know, I say representational, but I, I, you know, I'm very clear that I speak for myself. I don't represent all people of color or all immigrants or, you know, all Muslim Americans. I'm talking about me, but I also acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of other people out there who identify with what I'm saying and who have gone through very similar experiences. And so in that sense, there is clearly a demand for this type of community conversation and we are having it. And if more people feel welcome in that space, then I'm doing my job. I encourage everybody to check out your Instagram. I mean, your posts are so well-written and beautiful. It's just fantastic. It doesn't surprise me that you have as many admirers as you do. I appreciate that so much, Elizabeth. So you mentioned a couple of times that you have a regular job, full-time job, Tell me more about that and how you're balancing that with all the time away. And yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I just take it day to day. You know, again, like I said, I feel like people who have kids are probably often like, it's because she doesn't have kids, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And I think that's a big part of it is I love my full-time job. People always ask me, do you think you'll quit and you'll do this full-time? And I say, no, that's the whole point of my project is that, we can celebrate the outdoors and we can be advocates and we can have our passion projects and it doesn't have to be full time. And I try and build my project and the, and the engagements that I take on really every time I think about my capacity, is this something I can work on and produce in a responsible way to the person who's asking me to do it? And if I can't, I'm, I say no more than I say yes. And I always try and communicate that it's purely because of capacity reasons. It's a learning lesson. The first year I took on way too much and it absolutely impacted my personal life and our marriage and how much time I was spending on my phone or, you know, it just, it, it is like anything else, a learned skill. And so I'm really grateful for, for my husband and the partnership that we have because I, I say he's my silent partner in the sense that while I'm talking about it and I'm doing these engagements, it absolutely impacts him and our life together because we have to take time apart and do these projects. And so it impacts my life wholly and completely. And the responsible thing to do is to manage capacity in the right way. And I'm learning that. Oh, my God. I love that word capacity. I'm going to start. I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> that is my that is my golden rule is, am I at capacity? (laughs) If I'm at capacity, and I give this, um, I always suggest this to friends and other people I talk about. For a lot of people, I obviously am not the only one who's doing this. For a lot of people who are in social media or other forms of advocacy, I say, make a list of all the engagements that you have right now, whether you're an ambassador for someone, whether you're creating content. And if you feel overwhelmed, you're doing something wrong because this is supposed to be fun. So if you take something on that's new, you have to make sure that something else came off that list. 
because if you are overwhelmed, you are going to burn out and we need you around more than we need you to take on another project. Wow, that's so smart. Such smart advice. Does your time outside fuel your work? 100%. I've been doing this longer than I've been doing brown people camping. I've been outside. I've been trying to promote the outdoors long before I started this project. And it absolutely does. You know, I think a lot of women in the workplace can identify with feelings of frustration and how to maneuver just some cultural barriers that we have. And for me, being in the outdoors has always filled me with a sense of empowerment and sense of self. And just like that immediate gratification that I look for in every other part of my life, right? And it is very important to me to have those wins to balance out with other journeys and struggles and challenges that I have in my regular life. And I think that goes for everybody. Right. That's great. So you've certainly been passionate and fired up about this whole conversation. And I really love it. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that like really gets you going? What really gets me going is that when my dogs start barking when I'm on an interview. So I haven't done that yet. So we better wrap this up before they do. Yes, yes. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. I love your energy and, and your mission. So thank you for taking the time. Thank I really appreciate it. So, so much. Thank you for everything that you do. I appreciate being included in this conversation and, and everything that you're doing to promote women in the outdoors. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks to you for listening. Tell your friends about the podcast. Spread the word about fantastic, strong women speaking up and doing amazing things. Please subscribe on iTunes and encourage people you know to do the same. It really does help more people find the podcast. There are some fun episodes already in the can, so keep listening. Thanks to Agnes Studio, the blog, She Rides Her Bike, Gold Mines, and Leap Strategies for super support and partnerships. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Bye-bye. be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.